Well, thanks for joining me today. Last week, my producer, Brian Shanley, slid a CNN news story from Germany across my desk, and the headline read like this. Women can now swim topless in Berlin's swimming pools. Hmm. Well, chalk up another victory for the patriarchy. This is the type of female emancipation men will overwhelmingly approve. The lead went on to say, Women in Berlin can now swim topless in the city's public pools if they choose to, just as men can. Wow. How, how do we neglect such a glaring injustice for so long? You know, we're the only animals on earth that wear clothes. Of course, I'm not counting those cats and monkeys who perform on the Internet, but the cultural meanings assigned to clothing are intriguing, and there are many. But the article never even considers that traditional modesty, with all of its variations, may embody some deep, enduring wisdom. The reporter isn't curious, because for him, it's simple fairness, although it's the kind of fairness demanded by children. Johnny gets to take his shirt off, so why can't I? Well, there are actually very interesting reasons. Once you decide to get beyond a child's facile understanding of fairness, but no, this reporter... It's like the explorer who came upon a fence or a wall, and before asking why it was there, just knocked it down, and then moved forward in the name of progress. It's very foolish to knock down walls until you know why someone built them in the first place. For all the writer knows, he's just entered Jurassic Park. People operating in the mainstream or legacy media, activists of the far left, far right, the officials in the story, certainly the topless women, and presumably the majority of CNN's viewers, share a powerful assumption. It's my life, and I'll do what I want. Now, a more elite phrase, more sophisticated phrase, is to talk about the autonomy of the individual. It doesn't sound as crass as, it's my life, and I'll do what I want. But personal autonomy is taken from two Greek words, autonomy meaning self-law. And even the U.S. Supreme Court has defined liberty in a way that seems to affirm the superiority of individual autonomy. Quote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. End quote. In other words, reality is self-defined at least when it comes to questions of existence, meaning, the universe, and the mystery of human life. It's a council of despair. Humans don't share, according to the Supreme Court statement, humans don't share any objective meaning or morality. This was first used, by the way, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which reaffirmed the Roe decision. It was, a, uh, it was reaffirmed in Lawrence v. Texas, the landmark decision that led to homosexual, eventually led to homosexual marriage. And I'd say, I think you would search in vain to find a more apt description of our secular age. Our culture has lost the capacity to imagine any shared meaning that is transcendent to the self. Biblical people, on the other hand, uh, have heard, seen this before. Uh, look at the book of Judges. The key phrase in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is what Scripture calls the problem, 
that led to the social chaos in the land of Israel during that period. It was before they had a king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Biblical people today have actually been warning America for a few generations now about the cultural chaos that follows from self-law, from the autonomy of the individual, from everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. When people say, it's my life and I'll do what I want, they produce one type of culture. When people say, it's my life and I'll do what God wants, they produce another type of culture. Abortion is about autonomy. Physician-assisted suicide is ultimately about autonomy, with a little help. Homosexual marriage is about exercising autonomy. And now transgender advocates want to extend autonomy to adolescents. So before adolescents can marry or drink or vote, they may be able to permanently alter their bodies. It's their life. Let them do what they want. I'm not denying the reality of gender dysphoria, A Christian clinician, Dr. Mark Yarhouse, has been a pioneer in the field for decades. But I also know that we are still very uncertain about many aspects of psychosexual development. We are going off in an experiment. We don't even know how sexual identity and sexual orientation develops. So England finally came to its senses in October And the National Health Service there changed their transitioning policy, at least for the time being. Why? Too much was unknown. Hillary Cass, former president of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, speaking on behalf of the National Health Service, wrote this, quote, We do not fully understand the role of adolescent sex hormones in driving the development of both sexuality and gender identity through the early teen years. So, by extension, we cannot be sure about the impact of stopping these hormone surges on psychosexual and gender maturation. In many cases, gender-variant behavior or feelings disappear as children reach puberty. I'm continuing to quote her here. Little is known about the long-term side effects of hormone or puberty blockers in children with gender dysphoria. It's also not known whether hormone blockers affect the development of the teenage brain. We do know that gender-affirming hormones can cause some irreversible changes, such as breast development, caused by taking estrogen, breaking or deepening of the voice, caused by taking testosterone, and further, long-term cross-sex hormone treatment may cause temporary or even permanent infertility. End quote. Why the rush? to provide so-called gender-affirming treatment when there are so many empirical questions about psychosexual development that remain unanswered. It's crazy, but that's what happens when autonomy reigns. It's my life, and I'll do what I want. You know, how we got here is a fascinating story. Uh, We don't have time to tell it right now, but I can assure you we didn't get here by chance. We got here by the calculations of movement organizers in league with macromedia and the entertainment industries, uh, also in league with the uh, academic world. There's a book called After the Ball, which describes the plan. It's written by two gay activists, and it describes the plan that they laid out to move America towards acceptance of same-sex marriage. A similar book is going to be written about the drive towards transgenderism. Ironically, 
This emphasis on individual autonomy is a terrible distortion of the old American ideal of ordered liberty. Let me quote a passage from the Old Covenant Law, which makes it clear that personal autonomy, it's my life and I'll do what I want, is not how biblical people govern themselves. Deuteronomy 10. Hear, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to love and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? For the Lord shows no partiality, and he accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the immigrant and the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are immigrants and aliens, for you yourselves were once aliens in Egypt. End quote. Those are the concerns that motivate biblical people. We don't say, it's my life and I'll do what I want. It's my life and I'll do what God wants. America started out as an experiment in ordered liberty, not individual autonomy. The Founding Fathers to a Man believed that civil liberty could not be maintained without a virtuous citizenry. John Adams said that our Constitution was made for a religious people and was unsuitable for another. Washington, in his farewell address, said that religion and morality were the indispensable supports to civic freedom. And the phrase, righteousness, exaltation, from Proverbs 14.34, was ubiquitous in sermons, political speeches, tavern conversations. They had autom- if they had automobiles, it would have been a bumper sticker. Of course, I suppose they could always slap it on the behind of a horse. But this is not to say that colonial America was virtuous. But they were represented by leaders who knew that virtue was the necessary precondition for political liberty. That America and those American leaders are long gone, and it's not coming back. And we have no choice. We can lay down, of course, before these hard times, or we can push forward. Abortion, assisted suicide, gay marriage, transgenderism, the breakdown of the family, the loss of shared values with our countrymen. Don't think that we have lost. We shouldn't be thinking we have lost. We haven't lost. Our neighbors, our countrymen have lost. They've chosen the false god of self-law. They've chosen the false god of individual autonomy rather than the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it means that the community they're building will fall apart. We are building a different community rooted in Christ, We are made members of it by baptism, and we look forward to seeing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we stay faithful, we have won, because we're bearing witness to that kingdom that Jesus promises will bring human beings to fullness of life. And as we stay faithful, especially in Eucharistic communion, we are building a people oriented to what God wants rather than what I want. Our job is to build the church. And that's the way we can bless the nation. We only lose when we deny that he's at work building a distinct people in this culture. For purposes we can't yet know, 